All right, hello everyone. Welcome to episode number 70 of Going Live with Good Soil. The day after Halloween, Matt and I were just touching base. We both got a lot of kids. We were out last night. Did you have a lot of candy last night? Usually, last few years, I've abstained from candy, but last night I ended up eating a, a, a good amount. I just had a craving for a Butterfinger bar, and one of the houses was giving out adult-sized Butterfinger bars. I just <laughs> chomped that up, and then I was off to the races, and now I'm like having a hangover of sugar today. Did you eat much candy yeah, last night? Um, I probably ate like, I don't know, five or six of those little mini pieces. So yeah, that, yeah. that's probably more than I should have, but, uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. There, there's no keto candies. Isn't that like the, the worst thing you can <laughs> No, have there is, is a, there oh, is there like is. all kinds of like, artificial sweetener, but that, the mm -hmm. artificial sweetener keto stuff, I don't really buy into that. Like I, I went through a phase of trying and eating some of that stuff and I'm not sure it's that healthy for you. I think, uh, you know, all the artificial sweeteners. So but uh, there is no one passes out keto candy, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so the Butterfinger certainly does not count. That that kind of went against the whole uh, yeah you know, goal of the diet. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. At my house, we were passing out little, little Halloween packets of po Pokemon cards. Each one was like two or three cards. Mm -hmm. A lot of the kids liked it. My kids picked that out, of course, to pass out, and they get to keep all the leftover <laughs> Pokemon <laughs> cards now. So, Smart. Yeah. It's you guys that was out? What do you guys when, pass when out? I was a kid and, and my kids still do that. It's just, it's just crazy how like, that's one of the trends that seemed like it was a fad, but it's just still, still a thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big thing. What did you pass? What did you give it guys pass out? What candy of choice? I'm curious. So, I would guess, wait, my... let me guess. Let me guess. All right. I'm going to guess, um, I'm going to guess, uh, either black licorice or almond joy. <laughs> black licorice <laughs> or almond joy. No, I don't know. Yeah, so, we did wait, like wait, a little wait. sampler pack. So um, okay, one good. of my sons has uh, food allergies to a lot of stuff. So like Sour Patch Kids is, is like one of the candies that he can eat. So we okay. did like a pack of that so he could have the leftovers and then just like a mixed pack of, you know, like Reese's and Hershey's and that sort of thing. So yeah, yeah. We're, we're somewhat traditional. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, enough small talk. We got enough people signed in or joined now. We do this live on our YouTube channel and spaces at the same time. Uh, the outline is we go over macro market stuff and then Twitter, Tesla, Elon stuff today. And then uh, talk about some interesting experiences you had over the weekend with a special guest you had. We'll talk about that and some Q&A and stuff. So first macro market tomorrow, right, is the big is that the big day? Are they are they announcing tomorrow? I guess the Federal yeah, Reserve uh, they announced the in the morning, the, the overnight rate. Yeah. So. I think the market's expecting 75 basis points. I hadn't seen the the latest kind of probabilities of, of where they are. It's very uh, high probability for 75 tomorrow. Yeah, it's like yeah. it's got to be over 80%. I wouldn't be surprised if it's over 90% at this point for 75 basis points tomorrow. That that sounds that sounds about right. Last last I heard there was like a 15% chance of 100, but I, I kind of think that that may have gone down a little bit. So, mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I'm curious to see where it goes. I I kind of think it's going to be a nothing burger, but I, I don't know. We'll see. Mm. Yeah, you think the market moves one way or another? Like if it's just 75, it seems like there's always volatility no matter what. Yeah. I was reading some uh, financial media from – it was either the Wall Street Journal reports or it was like um, some Bloomberg Business Week or something. But uh, suggesting that um, the market could have like the most – the biggest up day in years tomorrow or one of the worst down days in the year tomorrow depending which – language that fed releases about a potential pivot or not right because it's all about yeah. the language yeah. for the future rate increases at this point we all know what's happening tomorrow they've done a good job signaling that you know but now they have to signal 
what's next? Is it going to be 75 basis points again, or is it going to be the doors open between 75 or 50, or is it going to be, they're pretty sure going to go down to 50 basis points next time, you know, or are they going to let the, you know, it's like they have to signal something and that's what the market's hanging on. So like the speculation is depending which way they signal, it depends which way the market interprets it. Is it a pivot? Are we getting to a actual pivot of the market where, of the fed where they're going to start increasing rates at low, at a lower speed? Um, they're slowing down the acceleration, you know, they, where we have like a terminal rate, we're close to a terminal rate now um, or not. And so yeah. it seems it, like there could be a big move tomorrow from based on what I've read, but also that's sensational media and finance. You know, they want you to click on it and see, wow, there's gonna be a five or 10% move in the markets. Let's see, see why I'll read this, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it seems like a lot of times when there's these pre uh, predictions of like massive volatility days, a lot of times it's like flat, you know, or, or maybe yeah. it's like volatile in the morning and then it, you know, kind of yeah. reverts back to the mean. So I don't yeah. know. I, I could certainly see like if, if there's a significant tone shift, then then absolutely I could see, um, you know, skewing to the upside in particular. You know, I think the market's already expecting a lot of, you know, uh, continued rate hikes into next year. So I think the only way it'd be like a huge downshift is if they say, you know, inflation is not getting under control to the extent that we would like. So we need to continue like very kind of strong language of, uh, like no end in sight. I think if that were to be the case, yeah, that could that could certainly send markets into a into a spiral. So it should be mm -hmm. fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah right. no, it should be fun. Yeah, it should be fun. And uh, I just want to get it behind us. Uh, and just I I, I kind of want to fast forward like to six months or a year from now where the interest rate environment is stable and not every you know hopefully by then we're not hanging on every word of every Fed meeting to decide which way all the stocks are going. You know, there's so much passive index investing that's came into style in the last decade with investing overall that I feel like the macro markets are huge. You know, the, 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 these interest rate increases drive the people allocating to the indexes more than ever before. And so it's like, it's just all the stocks are either moving up at the same time or they're all moving down at the same time. It's just, it's a weird environment to be in. And I just don't want to, I don't like it, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think you and I, we said many times, we, we kind of like to think of ourselves as, you know, focused on individual company fundamentals and that sort of thing, or, you know, long-term growth story rather than, you know, macro market. It's just, it's very, like you, as an investor, you have to be aware of what's going on there, but it's it's so hard to actually play that right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'd, I'd love to get back to a point where, where macro is neutral and you're kind of picking who are going to be the relative winners and losers. Um, yeah. Because you're right. It just seems like right now everything's just super highly correlated. It's like the good stocks are only down 40%, you know, and the yeah, <laughs> the bad ones yeah. are down 80. It's like, uh, okay, well, everyone's still a loser in that environment. So, um, yeah, you know, picking the winning stock is not, it doesn't feel so great in that environment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the really big news, I would say, I mean, other than the macro market, there's nothing, I mean, really tomorrow is the big day for the macro market. But the really big news is is the uh, Elon uh, moving into Twitter and setting up like a war room with David Sachs and Jason Kalkanis and the guy from uh, Andreessen Horowitz. And they're just really like going to town like and, you know, they're really uh, trying to make some changes quick. Right. I mean, there was like that yeah. notice like they, what, what was it like Twitter employees have 
seven days to figure out like a verification check mark or they're going to be fired or i saw some rumor about that i don't know i how think that was that a is. rumor i, I don't yeah. think that was a an actual um you know true ultimatum true thing especially given yeah. you know like elon's back and forth with stephen king this morning of yeah you know, he, i saw it that. seems like he's trying to figure out a way to do that i don't think he necessarily yeah. had an ultimatum of it needs to be in place in seven days yeah i think that would that upset a lot of people for sure. So yeah, that did. Um, that did. I think they want to be careful about how they implement that and roll it out. Yeah. I mean, it's really, uh, I, this is an exciting time, an exciting transition time uh, for, for me to witness with Twitter here. I mean, it could, it could fall either way. I mean, there's a lot of scrutiny. There's so much scrutiny Elon is under at the moment. Like every other yeah. major news publication is publishing articles about, you know, Elon being the antichrist with too much control. I don't know. And like, you know, like uh, it's just it, it, Washington Post is putting some pretty crazy things out about taking quotes from all kinds of like government officials that, you know, you, you can get quotes from anyone who doesn't like Elon and just mix, mix, match them together and like create any narrative that's negative you want about Elon and taking over. To, it's crazy. It's like the art of persuading people by some of these journalists, you know, they're pretty good at it. They've been doing it for a long time. And, and unfortunately a lot of mom and pop people at home that just read newspapers for informing their opinions and views of the world are reading this stuff and they don't really get to look closer in at what's actually happening at the sources, you know? So it's like, there's a lot of narratives that are trying to spin this in a, in a very negative way, unfortunately. And so I don't know how far that can go. Do you think that can really ruin some of this or what do you think, Matt? I mean, that's, he's always been subjected to that. Right. But now it seems yeah. like another level. I mean, it's kind of like that, that one tweet he said where he's seen so many of these like hero villain cycles that it's like hard to keep track anymore. And yeah, um, it does seem like this is certainly going to add some, some, you know, gas to the, to the flames of, of that whole, you know, debate. Um, I, my sense is it's probably going to settle down in, you know, two months or so. Like, like people are yeah. going to, I remember it being like kind of a big deal when, when, you know, Bezos bought the Washington post too. It was like, Oh, like now it's going to be yeah. just like the, you know, puppet for puppet mouth or mouthpiece for, um, you know, for Amazon. And I think people don't really have that view anymore. And he still gets yeah. criticized for that, you know, every once in a while. Yeah. Um, but, and so I kind of think the same thing's going to happen here. Probably it'll be a little bit more uh, vocal just because Elon is, is more polarizing than, than Jeff Bezos. Yeah. So, I, I do kind of suspect that, you know, it, it'll be a little bit more uh, insidious or persistent, but I don't think there's going to be anything serious coming out of it. You know, I think two, three months from now, people are just going to realize that they like tweeting and, you know, there's like this whole thing with uh, the hate speech that were like Elon took over and all of a sudden like use of the N word was up like 500%. It's like, okay, yeah. well, that's wasn't some new corporate policy, you know, like it was, it was an attack vector, like, like he said. Yeah. So, yeah. I, or I, like, there's like, calls to investigate i think chris murphy the democratic uh senator from connecticut or something said, said he's he's initiating a call uh, he's trying to get a committee together to investigate saudi arabia's ownership in twitter although they've been an owner of twitter all along like you know it's like yeah it's just excuses for politicians in a lot of ways to virtue signal and try to generate you know get their base uh, energized right before elections, which is in a few yeah. days. Yeah. So yeah, that, that timing of it is actually kind of interesting, but I think, I mean, he, he was really wise, I think not to change anything or like reinstate Trump right away or anything like that. Yeah. He's like, all right, let's, let's take our time and figure out the right, right way to do it, do this. Yeah. And I think if he's, you know, 
um, going to accomplish what he set out to do, which is to create, you know, an actual public town square where, you know, there's something of a, of a balance back and forth and people can kind of choose the level of um, controversy they want to see in their feeds. Yeah. Like nobody's really going to be against that. It's going to be very hard to kind of criticize Elon for, you know, I like being a far right wing politician or something like that when, you know, he, yeah. if he really is uh, successful in kind of balancing both the left and the right. So yeah. Um, I, I think it'll it'll all blow over because he's going to implement this successfully. But uh, th there's a bit of risk here, I, I think. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if like there's so there's so much um, controversy. He's becoming such a bigger and bigger figure in society that everything he does is going to be turned into articles and sensationalist clickbait journal like i saw some some headline like dogecoin rises rapidly after elon tweets picture of his dog shiba inu dog or something you know and like he might have just been tweeting a picture of his dog not trying to like signify anything to dogecoin but now like it you know people will call in the sec like elon's manipulating crypto markets by tweeting pictures of dogs or of his yeah. pet you know like yeah. <laughs> everything he does like is going to trigger so many people like i don't know hillary clinton uh, posted some crazy kind of, in my mind, a crazy, like a judgment political, uh, tweet about the, you know, horrible, you know, uh, incident assault that, uh, Nancy Pelosi's husband went through, you know, and she's like, yeah, this is the, the Republicans caused this. It was basically like blaming Republicans for doing this and we have to stop them or something. I don't know. And mm -hmm. Elon just tweeted back like in response, like, Hey, there, it's a tiny chance. He's saying tiny chance. He's not saying there is, he's just saying, Hey, you never know. Like we have to investigate things more. There's a tiny chance there's more to this story, you know? And it doesn't mean he's saying there is, but so it triggered so many people. I actually started looking into it because of that. And I was like, wow, this guy, Paul Pelosi, is is not an innocent angel. He had like a crazy DUI. He's 82 years old and he like could have killed people just like a few months ago driving like heavily intoxicated. And, you know, I looked at the video of it and like there's just lots of red flags with the guy. It doesn't mean he didn't get assaulted. Right. But it means like, you know, maybe things should be investigated a little more before we have judgment on things, you know, and it just triggered so many people that I even like said like hey what's going on like does anyone know i'm just trying to investigate with the twitterverse like does anyone know the background of this guy more like and uh people just get so upset anything political and everything he does that can be perceived as political is going to trigger so many one, one half of the population one way or the other and it's going to be a it's it, there's going to be like i don't know I don't, he's going to need a heavier security team than he has now i think <laughs> Yeah, you know, so the Paul Pelosi tweet was was kind of interesting in my mind because it, it wasn't just like all the, the people on the left got upset with him. I think there were a lot of people on both sides of the aisle that were, you know, essentially thinking, oh, you're getting like that down into the muck where you shouldn't be. Um, mm -hmm. And and there were a lot of people that, you know, are kind of like full on Tesla bulls that were really upset with with the way that he handled that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I kind of took it. We, so you and I haven't talk, talked about this yet, but I kind of took it the same way that, that you did, Emmett, where he was just being very literal. Like there's a chance that there's more to the story here. Um, yeah. and, and my thinking yeah. is it's kind of like his Asperger's is like he's just like stating a fact. He's not trying to be yeah. controversial. He's just thinking like yeah. it, it could be that, you know, there's there's, you know, this surface level story doesn't pan out. Then he did a yeah. little bit more digging. Turns out that's probably highly unlikely. So he deleted the tweet. But still, all these people yeah. were, were incredibly upset. So yeah, um, lots of articles. 
I mean, we were all fooled by Juicy Smollett, right? Within that, member that case? Like, if the next day anyone tweeted, like, there's a chance this is false, you'd be vilified, like, oh, you'd be taken to the town oh, yeah, square you would have been, you know? For sure. Yeah. 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 And there's lots of cases of this where, you know, so he's just learning from the past and saying, hey, there's a tiny chance something else happened here, you know, given the past to the guy and this, you know. So people got so upset. It's just, I don't know, triggers so many people. And that's why I put out a tweet that says like suspending judgment is like one of the hardest things to do. And like, sometimes you have to suspend judgment on something that seems so emotionally triggering until like all information, like we weren't physically there to witness it. There's no like security camera footage shown of the incident yet. You know, there's like, I would think they have security camera footage, by the way. I mean, this house is like, it's like one of the most powerful political people in the country. You'd think they have security camera footage everywhere. So I don't, you know, I'm sure he was assaulted and it was, a terrible thing but elon you know he's just like you said stating a fact a tiny chance we don't have you know there's could be something else here but um people went crazy with it and like it was like all over the weekend everyone even like i talked to my dad and he's like triggered about it a little bit you could tell but you know he's just most people don't understand the context he's just responding to hillary clinton he's not outwardly just like putting it out there he was responding to someone who's kind of using it to their political advantage in a wrong way probably yeah yeah, so so Martin Muldoon in the comments here says, with all that's going on, Elon should refrain from getting involved in guessing games. I think that was one of the more common criticisms that, I, that I've seen. Just like, you know, just fo- put your head down, do your your work, Elon, and, and you know, stop trying to, like, get involved in every single, you know, controversy. Because it, it brings you down, it brings Twitter down, it brings Tesla down. Um, and I think there's a, there's a decent point there. Um, but I think Elon, he really is so committed to actually promoting free speech that, I think he yeah. wants to be kind of a signal of that, that like, I'm going to get things wrong from time to time. But I think people will, people who look closely will understand that he actually has, you know, good intentions. Um, yeah. But, you know, a lot of others will just, you know, use every single incident like this as a chance to, you know, kind of sling mud and uh, yeah. just try to bring him down. So I don't yeah. think the controversy is going to end, but it'll no, go more. Our, there our, could our be like a national fans too short. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could see there being like national inquirer type outlets just hanging on everything Elon's doing. Like, you know, they have stuff like that for the Royal uh, family in the UK or whatever. Yeah. Well, there's probably going to be like businesses made of just hanging on every single word or um, um, emoticon or whatever, you know, emoji that Elon tweets and like reading, 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 you know, articles and I might even look at some of that stuff. I don't know. I'm, I mean, there's so many people fascinated, obsessed with Elon. I mean, people or people that hate him that'll buy it. You know, it's going to yeah. be, he's going to, he's already becoming in front of us, like the the biggest figure in our living history that we've lived in. You know, it's, it's really crazy. Uh, so we'll see how it evolves. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is, what does it mean for Tesla stock? I mean, what do you think? you know, the Twitter, you know, him, him being coming the biggest person in living history. What does this mean for Tesla stock? Do you think it's good or bad overall? Or do you think it's neutral? What do you think, Matt? Yeah. So I, I, I think it's mostly neutral, but there, there's all sorts of stuff going on. I mean, first off, I was a little bit surprised that, you know, he didn't have to sell more Tesla shares to close the deal. Um, I don't know mm-hmm. if you've seen this, but I haven't really seen any details of, of how the financing, you know, was secured and like, you know, who the third party equity was and, uh, so I'd yeah. be very curious if, if more of those details get public because, um, you know, apparently he didn't need to sell any more Tesla shares. So that's certainly good news. Um, so that that was the most immediate benefit to Tesla, in my opinion. Um, 
then like you've got this thing of like advertisers leaving and uh so like gm <laughs> left right away so yeah mary's leading once more so I, there's gonna be a little bit of that i think and but i think mostly that's gonna hurt you know kind of twitter's business model um so they're gonna really have to figure out how to stop bleeding cash there because they've got a lot of interest they need to pay with this new debt financing that went in there um so there's there's a lot of um heavy lifting i think that needs to be done on, on the twitter side but as for Tesla, I don't really think it is going to be much of an impact. Um, I've seen some people kind of commenting that uh, it could, uh, like, there's this controversy. I think Laura Kolodny, I don't know if that's mm. how you pronounce her name, but yeah. she had this whole, like, article about how, like, you know, they were using Tesla's resources. And so that was going to, like, slow down FSD and, like, all this stuff. And it's it's so funny because it's, it's, like, these are the same people who always say that FSD is a sham and it's never going to go anywhere. But then all of a sudden it's a controversy <laughs> if you're, like, using those resources for something else. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I kind of think it's going to be a nothing burger. But uh, do you have thoughts? Like, is, is there going to be – one of the interesting angles I haven't really thought too much about is, like, is there going to be some marketing benefit to Tesla of using Twitter somehow? Yeah. What, what do you think? Yeah. I think there's going to be synergies. Like, speaking of that, Laura Kaladny, she's – in the business, she's ever since I can remember, she's always been looking for ways to smear Elon. And I've heard people met her in person and said that she's very nice and like a normal like lady or a nice person. But I don't understand how someone like that is just like they're on like a mission to smear him. They must think he's like an evil person and just trying to do every you know present every. Maybe that's how they get more clicks. I don't know, but it's just it's yeah, not good. I've, I've spoken yeah. to her and she's she seems very reasonable, but like. She's got a very ingrained point of view and it's just, yeah. it's not, it's not altering, you know, as new facts come out. So it's, it's a little yeah. frustrating, but anyway, I think I have this suspicion that a number of these journalists have become sort of like Jim Chanos disciples of some degree, because mm -hmm. Jim Chanos made some very wealthy journalists, some, some journalists very wealthy with the Enron um, thing when he discovered or kind of put a big deal about Enron. I think some people, some journalists got very wealthy off of writing books about that or discovering it and became well-known in their community. And so I think there's something there where he's sort of like um, respected among some of these journalists that want to find the next Enron. And he's somehow convinced that Tesla is the next Enron. And so they've sort of thought that for a while now, but you know, that's not the case we know, but they live in a different reality. They're trying to prove, but it's, it's never going to come that, you know, speaking of which I was at a Halloween party this weekend and one guy I was introduced to, I guess he works at a big uh, trucking company in like their new energy division. He does like solar farms. Like, oh yeah, my partner did wind farms. So he's like, yeah, I'm all about that. And he's like, and hydrogen fuel cell, fuel cells, that's the future. I was like, what do you mean? Like just for energy storage or he's like everything. I'm like transportation too. He's like, yeah, he's like, he's like trucks, like. He's like, you know, we're converting all the trucks to hydrogen fuel cell. You'll see. He's like, well, what about the electric? He's like, no, Tesla, the electric vehicle, he, like his big thing was like lithium ion is too heavy. And it's like, it, like he had some term for it, like on the roads that like it destroys the roads because they're too heavy, the trucks and they crush the road. I don't know. It's kind of crazy. And it's, it was uh, like the Bill Gates thing from three years ago. Yeah. And Elon's like, yeah. no, we have these trucks. They're actually working. So you don't yeah. know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and then I threw in there at some point in our conversation. I was like, well, you know, Elon Musk calls them hydrogen fool cells, right? And he was like, I feel like it upset him. because I think that's his <laughs> livelihood is trying to work on this. And then like, as I was trying to walk away, he kept saying, Tesla is a ticking time bomb. And he said it to me like three times in a row as I was walking away. I was trying to like plan how I exit this conversation. And he was just like, really anti-tesla yeah, was people really get crazy. so triggered it's so interesting yeah yeah it was so crazy. what were you, were you dressed up as something for this halloween party yeah 
Peter Pan and okay. uh and yeah so my wife was Tinkerbell <laughs> first time I've dressed up in like five plus years but back to you know Elon and Tesla you know not to get too sidetracked there I mean they've been sharing SpaceX and Tesla have been sharing resources for over a decade and both companies are better for it I don't see why that's not going to be the case for Twitter and SpaceX and Tesla you know the top engineers you can share information. Mm -hmm. The top Twitter engineers might do something helpful for Tesla safety, you know, of logging yeah. verifications. You know, there's lots of synergies there. You know, the app of Twitter does some special things that maybe can be borrowed into the app of the Tesla app. You know, eventually yeah. they will be combined. You know, eventually yeah. it's going to be one big X.com app or something where you'll have all these synergies between Tesla and, and SpaceX and Starlink, maybe, you know, your phone will be connected to Starlink with T-Mobile and maybe, you know, it's going to be really incredible. The future that gets drummed up here with the Twitter, uh, you know, takeover. I'm excited. I, you know, I think it's, it's, it's only good from here. There'll be lots of smearing articles saying all this negative stuff, but um, yeah. And I'm also surprised that there was no reported new stock sales. Some people speculated that his foundation, they donated a bunch of shares to perhaps somehow that took a position. I'm not sure about the rules of that, uh, how that works, but um, yeah, I, I will find out more in, in the next few weeks. I would think about the actual financing details. Yeah. I'm curious to see how, how that comes, how that information comes out. Um, yeah. Yeah. But on, on the, um, on like the, the shared resources, I mean, one of the, the criticisms of that, though, has just been that it's like you're stealing resources from from Tesla. But I'm almost certain that these people would or, or the that twi Twitter would be paying Tesla for use of those individuals. I mean, that's that's the way that it's done. I mean, in a lot of companies, there are different divisions or different legal entities um, where you actually can't use the same resources. So there's this idea called transfer pricing where you just like you you pay an arm's length transaction to, to different divisions within a company. And I think mm -hmm. you would certainly do the same thing, um, you know, with Twitter and Tesla. So I, I really think that there's going to be, um, or that that was really not an issue. Uh, but I, I'm very curious to see the, the financing arrangements though. I think yeah. Larry, Larry and Goldberg in the comments says there's a significant increase in private financing of the Twitter deal. Yeah, I heard that too. Um, and I heard the 13 billion debt being serviced at these interest rates is like a billion a year or something. That's pretty high mm -hmm. compared to when interest rates were, you know, much lower. So yeah, the debt financing, the debt servicing is going to be expensive. Uh, they'll have to do, you know, figure out how to make money quick in, in Twitter to make it worth it, seems like. Um, so yeah, so let's move on to the next thing. Uh you had a big guest over the weekend, right? Tell us about that. You, you had someone visiting you. Yeah, uh, two guests, actually. So um, we spoke a couple times on this channel and actually had um, Florian Minderop, uh, who is the founder of Mr. Green. He was a, a guest host on the channel at one point. Um, but for those who are not familiar, Mr. Green is a European uh, leasing company. They, they basically lease Teslas. Um, they combine like the, the vehicle lease with insurance and maintenance and it's like a whole thing. So you just pay one subscription price. Um, but anyway, they own 5,000 Teslas. Um, they are really trying to increase their sales internally uh, or to, to their customers of full self-driving because they want to lock in today's prices. Uh, but mm -hmm. being in Europe, they've never been able to actually experience the beta. Uh, so I've been talking with them for a while and they ended up flying out uh, on Saturday um, to, to test out the beta. So they've been driving my car around for a couple of days now 
just experiencing the beta for the very first time. So it was uh, it was very interesting, kind of seeing seeing them experience it because they're huge. They're, I mean, they're they're kind of uh, I don't want to say betting their company, but they're they're investing heavily with upside optionality. That's kind of um, contingent on FSD beta really improving drastically and certainly rolling out to Europe. Um, and so it was it was very interesting seeing these two guys uh, their experience driving it. Um, and they had different personalities too, which which was really interesting. So uh, Keys, this this uh, the first guy who who drove it, he's kind of like me. He's like a little bit more, I don't say timid, but like you don't want to upset the other drivers on the road. So when it starts doing something silly, you just you know take over just to to be polite to the other um, uh, drivers on the road. But Mark is very much of like the James Dalma mindset, where he's like, it hasn't done anything <laughs> wrong. I don't mind being honked at. So he just kind of lets <laughs> it go. Yeah. So they it was funny because they had like slightly different experiences, but. Um, Mark, who's one of the co-founders, so he and Florian were the co-founders of, the, of this company. Um, he was just completely blown away by it. Um, you know, he he's just like because he he let it kind of do its thing and and like get through the mistakes, and he could see um, that it would eventually do the right thing safely. Um, he was just incredibly impressed. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, they they had a, a really great time. They've been driving around all over town for the last couple of days and. I think uh, one of them's driving to Chicago today, do a little road trip, try it in, in that downtown traffic. So, uh, yeah, it'll be. I, I'm kind of curious once they've had a little bit more time to digest, uh, you know, what what they what they're thinking is, and if they're going to try to accelerate their, their rollout or or, or what. But uh, it was uh, very interesting talking to them, and and just a couple cool guys too. We went to the U of M Michigan State game too, which was a lot of fun. Got to experience yeah. some real American culture. So Great. yeah, it was a really good time. Yeah, I can't imagine um, a couple people more anticipating the experience of FSD beta more than they were, right? Because they're in this business in Europe that's been waiting for FSD beta and they're like five to 10,000 Teslas they pretty much own and lease out and they're planning out how to do the FSD beta implications of their business for years now, watching Mm -hmm. videos of the US people like you. And here they do, they come, here they come, they travel to the US specifically almost to test out FSD beta. So they were the most, they probably had the most interesting expectation, long oversaw yeah. expectations of anyone ever using FSD beta. And they were clearly very excited and impressed. Yeah. It like. I, and I was a little bit nervous because I was so excited to get beta when I got it for the first time. Yeah. I, mean, I was like just spending hours driving, trying to like gain my safety score to be just right. And yeah. when I finally got it, I was actually really disappointed. Um, it was much worse back then. This was a year ago. Um, yeah. but I, like, I was kind of like, oh, this is actually making mistakes all the time and I've got to take over and it's uncomfortable. And, um, but it's, it's improved so much in the last year, but I still had a little concern that they might, you know, have the same sort of thing and think, oh, maybe we need to, you know, slow down a little bit our, you know, deployment of FSD, but it seems like they had the, the opposite reaction, at least, uh, from what the initial take I could tell was. So, yeah, no, that's good. I mean, it's come a long way since when you first got it too, you know, so it's like, and I read, I saw an electric report that the newest version is being pushed out right now or today or something. Yeah, I saw um, uh, the Dirty Tesla and a couple others uh, were, were downloading it. So, yeah, yeah so, it'd be really cool if I got that too and they could see one of the updates and see the yeah. see what happens. This is the most anticipated, I would say this is the most anticipated release of FSD beta in, in many months, right? And it's been talked about for a while. It was supposed to be like a new probably, number. Yeah, I mean, like the, the, probably the first dot 69 was, was a bigger deal. But aside from that, I think this is, a, this is gonna be a really big one. Yeah, absolutely. So 
Yeah, I mean, uh, exciting. A, friend, a couple friends of mine have Teslas, or, or one in particular I was talking to, he bought the FSD beta, hasn't got it yet. And another one I met at the same Halloween party said the same thing. So I know there's a lot of people that bought the FSD beta, at least here in the Bay Area, that haven't got it yet. So when wide release comes out, they'll get it. And it'll be curious to see all these people that don't follow Tesla as closely as we do, but somehow, you know, they paid for the FSD beta when they start using it, or if they start using it actively, what they're thoughts are about it you know versus people like yeah. us who are watching other people's videos about it before we even try it right yeah well, one of the things i think farzad might be the one who coined this but he, he calls it the wife test so like he can handle yeah. it all the time but like <laughs> when he turns it on with his wife in the car she gets so annoyed and, and it's the same thing for me because it's just uncomfortable you know it's like mm -hmm. you know it's when you can get to the point where you know your wife or, or you know some uninterested passenger who does not care about full self driving at all or prefers um, it, you know, yeah, maybe they at yeah, some point they prefer, prefer it. Yeah, at some point they like prefer, an autopilot. Like, that to now. me is going to be a big milestone, and, and yeah, you know, then you and I were talking for a while. When would you actually feel comfortable going in the back seat? I still feel like we're a long ways off from that. So that's kind of like my gauge of, of robo taxis. Yeah, um, mm -hmm. but FSD is is. I think it's getting close. Like the, the rate of improvement lately has been very, very strong. So yeah, makes me and optimistic. It's, it's very good with surprisingly so good with pedestrians and bikes that I've noticed, you know, so, you know, you don't want it to make any mistake whatsoever on that stuff, obviously. But uh, so far it's, it's been very impressive to me um, on, on pedestrians and bikers. Um, so, yeah, uh, I guess anything else we want to touch? Oh yeah. The uh, Falcon heavy. Right. That was today. Uh, dual. I mean, everyone's vilified. It's like the media. I think it throws people through a loop because everyone's been vilifying and saying all these negative things about Elon all weekend. And then on Monday, Elon's like the hero because he's launching the U.S. defense stuff, you know, into into space uh, on Falcon Heavy. And it's doing like a, tr a crazy, you know, landing again. And it's like, oh, Elon's the hero. He's, you know, helping out our defense or government and defense. I don't know. So, but it, you know, it's just, I feel like he's done this a few times, but it helps the perception of Elon to have like these views showing that, Hey, he's, you can't vilify him helping the department of defense to launch things to space. I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a space force launch, I think. And that actually, yeah. I, I read like um, just a, I forget which outlet it was, but it wasn't like a, a, a favorable Elon outlet, but they, they said specifically in there that um, it was, 30% cheaper, I think, than the, the traditional ULA launch for, for a similar size. So I thought that was really good that, you know, just a, a kind of more or less neutral media outlet was just commenting on, you know, how this was a successful launch, essentially, that saved the government money. And that's like, that, like that's such a, a base fact of, of like what he's doing is like he's creating value through all these companies. And, you know, you and I know that and all the people watching know that. But it just seems to be lost on so many people. So I think the more just kind of successful things like this that, you know, that he, he does that are providing real value, um, I think Starlink's probably going to be happening soon. I mean, you can imagine when that starts rolling out in airplanes, that'll be a kind of an eye opener for a lot of people. Uh, yeah. Just like the the kind of value that they're creating. So, yeah, it was yeah. interesting. I, I watched the, the launch, a uh, little, little snippet of it anyways today. And it was kind of a bummer just because it was super foggy. So you actually couldn't yeah. see like, the side-by-side -side landing. It was like the most crazy thing. <laughs> and it yeah. was, uh, this one was a little interesting because it seemed like one of the side boosters landed like a good four seconds maybe before the other one. So it was different mm -hmm. than the one, you know, three years ago or so. Uh, so yeah. it was not quite as, uh, as dramatic on the eyes, but it was still it's, it's such an impressive vehicle. In my mind, it's, it's, a, it's like the, 
um, Model X of rockets. Like this is super niche product that's like amazing, but it really isn't yeah. practical in the long run. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm so glad they developed it. Yeah, me too. I can't wait for the Starship. I mean that that first launch. I wanna I wanna fly out to go see it in person somehow. I'm sure there's gonna be like a, probably like it's probably gonna be like a million people, space enthusiasts, that try to visit the first Starship. I mean everyone will have to be like ten miles away or something, but you'll be able to you know see it from far away or something i mean that's that's that was supposed to happen this year sometime do you think it's still on track for this calendar year the starship orbital launch yeah well they did the the full stack um i, I can't remember if they did like the the engine test but um it's, it seems like it'll be close it wouldn't surprise me if it leaks into next year but um I, we keep saying I, it it's it's being pushed back. I mean, our conspiracy theory of mine is that it's it's being held back because of Artemis, because NASA wants Artemis to go first. But that keeps getting, ho you know, that thing's been a disaster. That's been garaged several times. I don't know what the status is of that now. I feel like they should just scrap it all together. But it was like $12 billion or something. <laughs> Crazy. No, they, they should have scrapped it years ago, though. I think it's yeah. Artemis, that that whole program. It's a, it's a mess. Oh, man. Yeah. That When is that thing going to go up in there? I think once that goes up... Then it's like the hurdles will be, you know, that, then like the U.S. news cycle can run like, hey, someone did something great with space that's not SpaceX, you know, these other companies that we spent so much money on. Okay, now you're free to go, SpaceX, and do your thing, you know. I don't think they want SpaceX to like take the limelight of everyone's imagination before giving these other companies or, you know, a chance to cash in on some of that uh, credibility. Yeah, I mean, the the <clears throat> only counterpoint I would have to that, though, is that there was kind of that that race with the Boeing Starliner and the Dragon capsule to, you know, get astronauts back up to the space station. And they were That's like true. neck and neck for the longest time. But eventually it was just like Boeing had huge issues. And I don't even know yeah. if they ever went to space. Do you know? I don't remember. I don't think, I don't think so. But we don't know what happened behind the scenes. It could have been a very difficult struggle, you know, of lobbying and yeah. whatever bureaucratic uh, red tape cutting, you know, behind the scenes to let SpaceX's dragon, you know, go ahead with everything there. So I don't know, there could be something similar going on with Starship, but Elon, I, yeah, I, I, it's a very political or a very uh, murky business, as you probably know, too. It's just like, <laughs> like, imagine what's going on with Ford and GM with unions and everything, but like 10 times more complicated, probably with this crazy space industry or in that they have that they've been in. You know, the United Launch Alliance, whatever that thing is now. Well, like it gets it gets very political because a lot of the you know congressmen and women want to support the jobs of the local factories that are spread throughout the whole United States, which is one of the yeah. reasons why it's so inefficient. But that's why it's had the political support because you know you're yeah. directly supporting American jobs and you know yeah. like like high paying specialized you know manufacturing. Yeah, but it's just yeah. it's not the the right way to do it. So yeah, I don't know. Before we go to Q&A, one update I saw Larry Goldberg, again, great uh, contributor to our um, We should just bring him here. on here. He's, yeah, <laughs> we should just bring him on. Yeah. He said the newest FSD release is not is being rolled out to user that's being rolled out to users now. It's just some kind of bug patch. But the, the, the new real, the big release we've all been anticipating is still a few weeks away. It's only being internally tested by Tesla employees. So Larry's usually uh, very spot on with his information. So uh, that sounds very reasonable to me about what's going on um and he also the, clarified that that they always staggered the landing of the boosters on the falcon heavy which is mm -hmm. true like if you notice on the the first one they did not touch down at the exact same time but I, my, my whole point was with this one they were 
more drastically staggered than than on the, mm. the previous launch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Andrew Bazile said his FSD beta saw a little their house cat like crossing the road in the dark and stopped for it. I haven't Whoa, seen that, and, really? and he saw wow. he said he saw it on the screen even the house cat. I haven't seen a cat shown on my screen my my FSD beta screen yet, but uh, that'll be cool when you see little cats and dogs on there. Yeah, I have not. So far, my experience with small animals is that FSE does not mind trying to run over a squirrel, but it'll stop for a dog. But I haven't seen the yeah. cat one yet. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm going to put my cat in the road next time and just like put it on, <laughs> test it out and see. Maybe. Yeah. My cat will probably scamper away, but at least I'll maybe I'll catch it on the display there, what it looks like. So, all right. Well, wh why don't we go to uh, Q and A uh, here, and, and we'll spend the next twenty minutes just answering questions or going through things. From Brave on YouTube comments, question: With the zero COVID policy in China, do you fear that those winter shutdowns become a recurrent event for Tesla and thus decrease its growth rate and valuation long term? I mean, this is certainly a concern I've had. I listened to more analysis of. Uh, the uh, current state of uh, the CCP and and um, Chief uh, President Xi there and the new seven people at the top are all like loyalists to him now. There's no not one dissenter. It's all just like his own loyalists. And he promoted people that were loyal to him, including like the Shanghai minister who was perhaps even though the Shanghai shutdowns caused a lot of strife. It was like two months shut down earlier this year. Zero COVID Shanghai shutdown. It was politically unpopular in some ways, but maybe he, he, uh, gave that guy a promotion to be number two because he did, he, he did what was very unpopular and was loyal to president. Xi. you know, for that reason, even though, you know, it was hard to do. So I think the zero COVID policy, it's depending on president Xi and what he's going to say about it, you know, and all the people around him are going to either enforce it like the, with the example of the Shanghai minister getting promoted to number two, I think they all must see that. And if he's going to stay hardcore on zero COVID, it could be a, a big issue in China for production and factory output. And he seems like the economy is not as important now as, you know, keeping the party in power or something. So I don't know, Matt, what are your thoughts about it? I mean, that's just based on all the, I've been really on this, on this, rabbit hole of digging into like details of president Xi's life and who he is as a person, given that he's like the second most politically powerful person in the world. I feel like it's important for me to like investigate him and figure out more, but I don't know how much I really know. I'm just listening to a lot of people that like claim to be experts on it. Yeah. It does seem pretty clear that zero COVID is, is here to stay. Um, I mean, at the, the people's Congress a couple of weeks ago, they were talking in the opening remarks about how, um, they like China has the world's best policy around COVID prevention and they're going to continue with it, which I was kind of surprised by that they were kind of using that as a point of pride, given, uh, some of the severe kind of anxiety that that seemed to be causing for the citizens of, of uh, Shanghai. So I was a little bit surprised by that. Um, but then just this past weekend, or maybe it was yesterday, I think, did you see this Disneyland shutdown that just happened yeah. like, abruptly? Um, yeah. Yeah. Where, where was this? It was it Shanghai or was it somewhere else? Um, I think it was Shanghai. Yeah, I think it was Shanghai. Yeah. Yeah. So for people who didn't see, like, they just abruptly shut down Disneyland Shanghai and would not let anybody leave until they had produced a zero COVID or a, a, a negative COVID test. Um, so just very stark, you know, very aggressive, very kind of authoritarian 
policy in place around around COVID. So I think this absolutely is is a risk for Tesla in the uh, at least in the short term and maybe even a little in the medium longer term. Yeah, yeah. I mean, on the on the on the flip side, I think. Um, uh, you know, I, my intuition is that Elon and Tesla have as almost as good of a relationship as you can have with the CCP for a U.S. company. You know, um, so I know there's concerns they have about like SpaceX or, or you know Starlink and stuff, but that's a different company, and I think they know how to segregate that or, or separate that from the Tesla business model with you know intertwined with with China's economy and all the manufacturing technology they're getting through Tesla and FSD, you know, that's, that's a tremendous piece of technology that they are probably going to be able to um, get a piece of through Tesla as Tesla develops it. So I think that there's a positive synergy for Tesla with, with Shanghai more so than Apple, even in some ways at this point. Um, But you know, Apple, Apple has Foxconn and Foxconn, is huge. Is Foxconn a Taiwan company or is it Chinese? I, feel, I thought I feel it was like mainland I China, but I, I could be wrong yeah. about that. Yeah, I don't know. I have to look into that. I don't want to opinion, opine about that. Anyway, um, Elon's comment about um, Taiwan becoming an administrative state, I think when he put that tweet out that about that, you know, he was speaking his mind and it was, again, tr- very triggering for many people, but I think it got him a ton of brownie points. Not That's not why he tweeted it, I don't think. But I think it did get him a ton of drowning points with the with the government in China. Yeah, yeah. One other point on on you know this COVID thing is you know Tesla does have experience now with this closed loop system, which you know they they will mm. let you do if you keep your employees on site. Um, so the supply chain can be a little challenging still uh, in a in a COVID shutdown. But I would I would bet a, a large sum of money that the the Tesla China team is putting in, you know, contingency plans and trying to figure out how if they did have another shutdown, how could they, you know, kind of kind of maximize their output in that uh, you know, kind of reduced workload uh closed loop system type of type of environment. So, yeah, uh, just because there was another like covid lockdown that doesn't mean that, you know, output drops to zero for 4 months or something like that. Yeah. And the trickiest part has got to be all the not only the uh, Tesla suppliers in China, you know, the hundreds or thousands of Tesla suppliers for Tesla in China that have to also keep producing output, but then also the logistics, like all the truckers in China, you know, they have to be able to roam and do what they do uh, during a zero COVID lockdown. So, you know, it's tricky, but I feel like if anyone can figure it out, you know, Tesla China team can, you know, and, you know, the Tesla, the head of Tesla China, I can't remember his name. I should know his name like the back of my hand. He's probably one of the top three or five most important people in all of the Tesla organization. Um, I thought it was so like Grace Tsao or something like that. I think it was like some new guy, Tom. So I don't remember. I can't remember. But if anyone in the comments remembers the head of Tesla China, put it in there. I could look it up. But he's probably, I need to study him a little more carefully. He seems to be very uh, proficient at developing Tesla China. So. Let's go to the next question from breakfast pizza question thoughts on George hot stepping down from comma AI combo of him Argo AI shutting down and other autonomous players stopping seems to hint that market is realizing Tesla is winning the race. Yeah, I saw this, uh, Martin Muldoon, uh, tagged me a news report yesterday morning. I retweeted it that George Hotz's letter of him stepping down. Um, that's a big deal. I mean, Comma.ai, I thought was like, you know, 
on, you know, I thought they were doing a lot of good stuff given how lean they were. They're super lean. And like, he's his, he had this vision. I, I don't know. Did he get, I'm trying to read between the lines, like, because it's clearly like there was no, I couldn't like, I've watched some of George Hodge's videos. I've seen some of his writings recently, but I didn't get any inkling that he was like unhappy or looking to leave. So all of a sudden this new letter comes out, which is very like well-written, very taking the high road kind of approach, you know, reading between the lines, like what happened? You know, does he get, did he get pushed out by some investors? Did he, you know, did he, uh, did he have like a alter, not like, did he have some kind of very big disagreement with some top investors perhaps, or some top employees? I don't, I don't know. There must be something to it though. I don't think he just woke up one morning and was like, you know, this isn't for me. I'm going to work on stuff like Andre Carpathy, something different. Like, what do you, do you, you don't, so I guess, I guess I was leaning a little bit more towards the, you know, he wanted to work on other things. I mean, George Hotz is not like some autonomy guy who's only ever been interested in, you know, artificial intelligence or anything like that. I mean, he's always been, maybe polymath is too strong of a word, but he's, he's, he's been interested in a lot of different areas of tech and he's been working on this problem for a long time now. Yeah. Um, and so it's, been his so baby. My, it's like identity. I feel like it's been yeah, his identity. It, it, well, like it, it must be to some extent, but at the same time, I like with all, I, I think he would have been expecting to have, have made more progress than comma AI has actually made to date. And so I, my, somebody said in, in one of the, the Twitter comments <laughs> that I would imagine after watching Tesla's AI day and like how advanced their techniques that they're implementing are compared to mm. what comma was doing, which was, I, um, a little bit more uh, basic. They were, for the most part, their primary strategy, at least as far as I, I'm not a technical expert here, but my understanding is their primary strategy was kind of um, using the input from their fleet of drivers to essentially mimic what a human driver would do in any given situation that the autonomous car has. And I, I think mm-hmm. there's there's probably inherent limitations to how far you can make that um, kind of a simple approach of, of a, of a you know, like, a, AI system work for like a handling a very complex, you know, like traffic situation with a bicyclist that comes out or something like that, you know? So yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, my sense was that he may be uh, a little concerned uh, just that, you know, this, they, they were never going to make it with their current approach. And so maybe he wants to work on something else. I could be wrong. I think, I don't think anybody really knows, but uh, publicly anyway, but yeah. to me, it, I, it seems like we might have a little bit of a different viewpoint on, on what happened there. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's more to me. I, I don't know. My mind just wants to read between the lines, even when it's not possible sometimes, <laughs> even when there's nothing to read there, but I still like to float different narratives in my head to see if something clicks when more data comes as time goes on. Um, we'll, we'll, a wonderful effort. We might figure it out one day in the future. Maybe he'll, if there is more to meet the eye there, maybe he'll open up more about it in the future at some point. If I'd not, love to have maybe... you interview him again. That was such a fun interview that you and Dave did with him. Oh yeah, like one of my favorites. That was cool. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. I mean, he's clearly like you know an interest, a fascinating person, and he understands technology and. You know, he he's the first person to if people don't know, he's the first person to crack the iPhone. Like the thing that people thought was impossible, he like hacked into an iPhone at the age of like 14 or 15 or something. That's what made him like that's got him on the map initially, you know, and then he like interned at Google over time. He was like a prodigy of coding, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, Elon even tried to hire him to help him with FSD beta at some point. George told the story on like Lex Friedman's 
channel once or whatever. Um, but George is a little bit of a hot potato or or uh, a little bit of a Pandora's box in some ways. And I think Elon he's got some uh, realized extreme that. eccentricities for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel also that George has matured because now he's probably close to 30 or something. I don't know. But he seems to have matured. I've been following over the last several years and he seems to have matured to a point where maybe he could be a manager or CEO. So the thing that I'm thinking that maybe not if there's nothing to read between the lines, maybe he just realized that, hey, I'm not a good manager. I'm not a good CEO. I got to step away from this and do something that that's my strength, you know, like sort of like Andre, you know, maybe he listened to yeah. An Andre's interview with Lex Friedman, where Andre is basically saying that, which I listened to as well. Finally, uh, the end of it is long. I wanted to listen to the whole thing, but basically Andre didn't like being a manager or CEO. It's not a, it's a, yeah, not a fun job for a lot of people. I've, I've been a little bit of a manager of different of employees when I was a, and I didn't like it either. I wasn't good at it. I don't like being a jerk to people and like trying to crack the whip on people. It's not something I want to do. It's not something I'm good at. And I don't like being the evil, you know, the person to be feared, you know? And uh, I think George, maybe he, maybe he realized after listening to Andre's interview, like, you know, I don't, I can be like Andre. I don't have to be a manager. I'm going to step away. You know, like maybe it's something he's been teetering with and it just put him over the edge on it. That's possible. That's not that's not as fun to think about as a crazy narrative, but it seems like highly likely. <laughs> yeah, I, I could see yeah. that too. So, yeah, and I see from the last thing, Larry again. Thank you, Larry. You are awesome <laughs> contributor. He says according to, it was Tom Zhu is the Tesla's top China executive. Yeah. Tom Zhu. Yeah, um, he was promoted in July eighth of twenty twenty two to do more than just oversee. China, maybe he's overseeing all of Asia or something. If I recall, it's more than just China. I think. Asia, yeah. Asia Pacific, according to Larry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's you right. and I should step down. Let's just let Larry handle it from here. It should be the Larry show. Yeah, Larry, <laughs> you need to. You got the facts right. Okay. Um, from Andrew Bazile, question: The synergies between SpaceX and Tesla have been tremendously beneficial to Tesla. In your minds, which potential synergies between Twitter and Tesla are most exciting? Yeah, that's. What's exciting to me is not knowing the synergies yet, you know, like, like that's, what's exciting. Like what are, what synergies are we going to discover or think through or have thought experiments on that come to fruition that we haven't yet thought about for synergies between Twitter and Tesla. Right. So one thing we was talking about earlier is like maybe this verification process Twitter is going to develop will somehow help on the Tesla. Maybe the Tesla app will be rolled into Twitter somehow. And so instead of ha me having two different apps to do the, you know, things on Twitter or Tesla, just one app, maybe Twitter will be in the display easier to look at or scroll through or do things on the display of Tesla. You know, there's, there's so many interesting synergies that they will have, um, those companies, you know, I, I I'm excited to not, I'm excited that we don't know them yet, that there's going to be some cool things. What do you think, Matt? So the, the, one thing that I'm probably most excited about, and I'm, I'm not exa exactly sure how it might pan out, but um, like Tesla still has not spent any money on advertising yet. And and they're getting mm -hmm. to the point, I think, where, you know, right now they're they're eating through the backlog a little bit. It's still healthy, but, you know, they're they're not expanding their backlog like crazy like they had been. So at some point, if they're going to get to, you know, 5, 10 and certainly 20 million vehicles, I think they're going to need to do some amount of, of advertising. So. Mm. Um, I think there's, there's probably some very interesting ways which Tesla could try that on, on Twitter's, uh, you know, uh, well, on the Twitter app, um, in, in a way that would be interesting and not just like the, the current kind of like promoted tweets and that sort of thing on Twitter are like really low engagement and not that interesting. Mm. 
Um, but I think Elon's talked about, you know, having some better video features and, you know, having some longer form content available. So yeah. I think if, if Tesla were to kind of get involved in, uh, if they do decide that it's the right thing for Tesla's business to start advertising, I, I could see them trying to do it in a, in a pretty unconventional way on Twitter. And that could potentially have some, some pretty interesting yeah. uh, results, I think. And, and probably at a low cost like yeah. compared to what GM I mean, the, the, and Ford is doing, like buying Super Bowl commercials. It's so dumb. Like it's such yeah. a horrible strategy. Yeah. It is so like 20th century stuff. Yeah. The, um, the one good thing I'd say about Facebook, I use Facebook once a week or once a, every few days I go in just to like see pictures of friends and family putting up their families and stuff. But the, the one good thing that Facebook does is they have the advertising down, I think, the way Elon wants to do it in some sense, where mm -hmm. I guess Facebook's like listening to me or I don't know, it's like infringed on my privacy in so many ways I don't even know. But somehow it knows the things I'm talking about that it would be useful to me. And when I pull up my Facebook app, there's been a number of times where I'm like, this is exactly what I want. How does Facebook know? And I like buy it on the app because I'm like, wow, that's awesome. So Maybe I yeah. think he wants to make Twitter's advertising useful like that. Um, but I wonder if that's going to mean that it, Twitter then has to like listen, be listening to your conversations and like infringe upon quote unquote privacy in a way that Facebook seems to do to get that information down to target what you want, you know? So we're curious to see how that plays out. Yeah. Yeah. So. Let's go to the next question. Auto from Charles on YouTube. Auto sales in Q1 are typically lower. With the EV tax credit, do you all think Tesla will beat Q4 production deliveries in Q1 2023? I think they will. I mean, I think, yeah, auto sales in Q1 are typically lower. Um, but I do think with the where we are in the ramp of Giga Berlin and Giga Austin, like especially in Q1, like this quarter, the ramp is like starting to curve up a little bit. Like it's like that. And then... Next quarter, Q1, it's going to be more more like that. Q1, Q2, it's going to be like that to like the maximum part of the S-curve before it flattens out, I think. So I do think because of the ramping of Berlin and Austin, that Q1 um, in, will be a record and Q2 will be another record after Q1 probably. That's my guess. And uh, we'll see about after that. But um, what do you think, Matt? Yeah, the, the the seasonality thing, I think it's important to keep in mind that like the entire industry sees a slowdown in Q1 relative to Q4. But that's like you, you really have to keep in mind the difference between inventory levels of all these different manufacturers when you're talking about that. Because, you know, mm -hmm. the GMs, the Fords of the world, they've got 60 to 90 days of sales outstanding, which is just a huge amount of cars sitting on lots. If you want to buy whatever GM car today, you can go and buy it and drive home today. That is not true mm -hmm. of Tesla's. So, um I think it's it stands to reason that the order rate will probably slow down even for Tesla in Q1 a little bit. Um, but the when when they've got, I think it's something like 10 days of sales outstanding right now, uh, 10 days of inventory. So um, like for them to increase their inventory by, I don't know, say five days even, and, and they would grow inventory levels by, I don't know what that would translate to, maybe 20,000 cars, something like that. Um, that's just not that big of a deal. Um, and so I, th I think for the, the overall market is going to, is going to see this decrease, but I think Tesla is going to keep right on, um, uh, increasing just because their, you know, their demand is still higher than the available inventory, uh, and then like the available production rate. Oh, and then next mm. big future. Hey, Brian, shout out to you. Also comments the, there's the $7,500 tax credit coming in, in 2023. So there's, yeah, there's that's what's going to drive it up. Yeah, in the U.S. in particular, 
Um, I mean, that's going to be, I think, a, a huge catalyst that I think a lot of yeah. people that I'm talking to don't even know that that's a thing yet. Like, yeah, I mind, like the market talk to a lot of people that don't know for some reason, just don't understand, like, what's going on here. I don't know. I, I people like are not as informed up. as in China. People are not yeah. in China. Apparently, everyone was informed about this coming price cut. And then it happened. But here in the U.S., I've talked to a few people that are thinking about buying a new Tesla like now. I'm like, what do you think I should get? And I'm like, well, you should probably wait till try to take delivery till the beginning of 2023 for that. And like, what are you talking about? I didn't know about there's a $2,500 credit. I was like, yeah. So no one in the U.S., not many people in the U.S. understand. It's so you know, strange. Our, it is so strange. Yeah. I also see Brian from uh, Brian, uh, Next Big Future. He, we had him in, we interviewed him on our channel once. He, he also is talking about Argo. Uh, had 2,100 employees and they, they were burning 2 billion a year. They shut down. I forgot to mention. So not just comedy, comma AI was like peanuts com compared to how big Argo was in terms of technology. I'd say comma AI probably had better technology than what, whatever Argo was working on in my mind. I don't know, but Argo was this Ford backed and some other big company backed AI company that shut down. It announced it's shutting down last week. And it was, that's a big deal. That's 2,100 employees. That's a, that's a lot. Um, so, and, and Brian, one other plug for Brian, he has a really under the radar YouTube channel. I I'm subscribed to it, but he does great, like futuristic, like crazy theories. It's like, if, if you, if, if, if you combined Warren Redlick with Kurt Vonnegut, the sci-fi author, if you combine <laughs> them together, that's sort of, to me, sort of what like, like Brian's YouTube channel is like, it's really cool stuff he puts together about what the future holds for us in, in different ways. Really cool. And a prolific writer too. He's done what is it like thirty thousand blog posts or something? Just mind blowing. Like yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. A lot of it has stuff that he wrote years ago that's turned out to be true. So yeah, Brian is a, a futurist. Uh, not you know that's very under under the radar, but worth watching or subscribing. Anyway, next let's do one more question. It's close. It's after ten thirty here. So last question here from Martin Muldoon. Question, any word out of Rocket Lab? Haven't heard from them recently. Yeah, Rocket Lab, um, I think they're going to be a benefactor in some weird way of the vilification of Elon Musk and people being afraid of Elon Musk having too much power, Elon Musk and his companies. I think there will be certain, uh, you know, there's, there's there's some political fallout to that. And I think they're going to start, you know, once Rocket Lab has their Virginia um, launch pad facility set up, I think they're going to get a lot of business from the U.S. Space Force and and you know I think SpaceX will still do well, but I think I think there'll be a lot of uh, people anti Elon who are in that industry who will just go with Rocket Lab for setting satellites up, even if it costs a little bit more or or if it's comparable or whatever. So I think Rocket Lab could be a little bit of a have nice you know benefit. It's almost like a hedge in some ways against Elon and SpaceX being vilified more. But I, I do, uh, you know, I don't have, I don't know any new words out of Rocket Lab on anything. Matt went to their investor day a month yeah. or two ago. They've got earnings next week. I think actually. Then. They've got earnings yeah. on next Wednesday, I believe it is, at uh, five thirty Eastern. So hopefully we'll get some some good news out of there. One of the things that I think is really interesting in the near term with them that maybe doesn't get enough attention is they're really trying to ramp up their turnaround time so that if a customer, you know, just says, "Hey, I've got the satellite. I want to launch it next week." You know, they could actually possibly launch it uh, 
next week is, is a bit of an exaggeration, but uh, they, they, they could do something, go from like signing a contract to getting it on the launch pad within two or three months, which is kind of unheard of. So, you know, they, they've gone, like if you look at their financials, you'd be like, oh, well, they're losing money. It's not that great. But if they can increase their launch cadence by, you know, two to three X, which they certainly can do, they've got the, the capability to do it. They just really need to increase their, their processes a bit. And their pipe, their backlog is certainly long enough to support that uh, kind of like higher cadence. Um, then it could be a, a really big uh, boost to their to their financials. I mean, the operating leverage yeah. potential there is, is really big, and it's certainly just like Tesla. It drives up their gross margins when they they kind of increase their their volume of services that they provide. So, um, yeah, Rocket Lab. I think we've been thinking it's going to take a while for this story to pan out, and I think that is true. Uh, but already, I think I'm starting mm -hmm. to get a little bit more excited about some of the the financial synergies that like this just higher launch cadence could provide. Yeah. Yeah. And similar to how we think of lemonade insurance, uh, the car insurance rollout to be like the big thing we're watching and waiting on. I think Rocket Lab, to me, the, the big thing I'm kind of waiting on, next big thing I'm waiting on to see is the Neutron rocket uh, that come to fruition. But that's a little bit further off. What's that, like 2024 yeah. or something? So, I don't think it'll I don't think it'll launch before 25, honestly. OK, um, but hopefully okay. we'll see a prototype. I think they, they even said they might try to get an engine done and, and maybe even test fired by the end of next year. But I think the mm -hmm. whole uh, vehicle altogether will be probably late 24, early 25, something like that. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. You so. know, one, one interesting thing, though, ARC Invest has... Uh, see, you're wearing the shirt today. I mean, they've been buying yes. Rocket Lab a lot. Like every, it seems like almost every every day when I get these, you know, daily activity reports, like they're adding Rocket Lab across their funds. So um, they've probably been, got the best timing. They're gonna have the lowest average price of any like anyone for Rocket Lab. I mean, that's great for them. Yeah, we got in like pre spec, and we were feeling pretty good about that. Uh, and then yeah. up until the whole thing <laughs> went down. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. this I yeah. think this, this could pan out really well for them. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, it's, uh, and, and I think the big, we, you and I have talked privately about Rocket Lab on our thesis. And what I think we realize is a potential um, catalyst for Rocket Lab stock price that any investors in Rocket Lab maybe want to think about is if, in, is when Starlink gets floated as an idea more for an IPO. You know, so Starlink what was it supposed to be 2023 or 2024, maybe an IPO or something to raise capital. So if Starlink mm -hmm. starts getting floated um, as an IPO idea and valuations for Starlink get thrown around, investment banking, you know, capital markets start saying, oh, and you see news reports, Starlink's going to have a 50 billion valuation or 100 billion, whatever. Um, then uh, I think you might see some excitement around the entire space industry and you'll get closer eyes by, uh, professional institutional investors on rocket lab who start buying some of that up. And so I think similar to how like Rivian and lucid kind of, you know, rode the bandwagon with Tesla's ride up, even though they, we don't think that they're worth the, the valuation increases they got. I think you'll see a valuation increase significantly for rocket lab. Um, once, uh, you have public markets putting evaluations on Starlink. Uh, so, but I think in this case, it's worth, Rocket Lab is worth it, you know. So I think um, that's that's what we that's one thesis we have about when Rocket Lab stock might may or may not appreciate. Not investment advice, just yeah, speculation. Well, yeah, and and maybe one one final thought on there, unless you got something else on it. But like we've been saying for a while too that we think the whole 
uh, market doesn't really understand who the winners and losers are going to be. And with, with the the kind of news of Argo AI and and mm-hmm. you know comma maybe there's some bad news there. It seems like a similar sort of dynamic where you know like yeah. two years ago, I mean, you and I would be like space industry. Looking, well, we'd be looking at the, that chart. I don't know if you remember that chart that some consultant put together that had like Argo AI at like top of the pack in terms of like how great their technology was, and Tesla's yeah. at the very bottom, like least scalable and like least yeah. efficient, or I forget what the what the metrics were. And it was like, that's so dumb. That doesn't make any sense at all to, to kind of scale it that way. And I think yeah. the, the at least looking at, at the relative valuations, so like for Virgin Orbit and Virgin Galactic and uh, some of these other like Firefly, a lot of these other companies. Ad Astra, built, Firefly. Ad Astra, yeah. yeah. Like for the most part, all these companies are like around a billion dollars, you know, plus or minus, you know, 500 million or so. And then Rocket Lab's just over 2 billion. So it's like a very slight premium to all these. But like, if, yeah. you, if you look at how far ahead they are, just in terms of their business model and and their technology, um, they they deserve a lot more of a premium than, yeah. than that in my mind. And and yes. on top of that, I think the overall space industry should be worth a lot more than you know SpaceX at I don't know what it is 130 billion something like that. Plus everybody else thrown together is maybe like another 10 to 20 billion. It's like the whole market yeah. cap of that industry. Five years from now, ten years from now, it's definitely going to be more than 150 billion dollars. So the whole yeah. pie is going to grow. And in my mind, yeah. like Rocket Labs, you know, relative sliver of that pie is definitely going to grow too. Well, not, def- yeah. not investment advice, but so so to me, like that's kind of like the broad strokes of, of the opportunity yeah. here. And it just seems like from reading analyst reports on on like Virgin Orbit and the, like that technology yeah. doesn't make any sense. Like you're you're launching a rocket from a 747 and you think that's going to be like a scalable business model it's just yeah so i don't yeah. know I, I i think there's some misunderstanding of of the whole opportunity in this entire industry because it is a new industry so that yeah. may take some time to pan out but it's one of the reasons i think we feel so optimistic yeah i agree yeah absolutely spot on a lot of uh good narratives and stories sold in the space industry you know because so many sci-fi books are so exciting to us next frontier so so many good stories sold about it but how many companies are actually delivering on what their what their story is and rocket lab is one of the few along with spacex obviously right so yeah yeah definitely all right so uh yeah we'll see everyone back next week um after you know I saw someone in the comments uh, or someone on Twitter tagged me um, on Boomer Mama's tweet, I guess, last night or something about JP Morgan's analysts saying that there could be an 8% up day on the market uh, tomorrow if the Fed only raises it 50 basis points instead of 75 basis points. So that's kind of like a white swan, you know, potential event. I don't know if that would happen 8% up on a day. That seems kind of incredulous but uh yeah that's 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 suspiciously specific <laughs> yeah yeah it's specific yeah and there's probably no chance only 50 ba- everyone thinks it's 75 basis points yeah so i i that, that would have to be one hell of a pivot to go to 50 basis points without really you know um kind of giving any indications that that we're gonna that that was going to be the case other than that one kind of like yeah. private off the books you know meeting yeah. that they had so. Yeah. Hopefully when we get the next, like, what is it? The beige book? I forget the terms of all this, but hopefully when the next record of their meeting, we'll see that it wasn't all unanimous for a 75 basis point increase. You know, it seems like they've been suspiciously unanimous the last several increases without any dissenting voices. Hopefully at least we'll see like some kind of dialogue versus everyone just agreeing with, you know, you know, 75 basis. you know, I feel like that's the purpose of having, 
uh, a committee is that you have discussions of differing views, you know, and I don't think they've been having that lately. So, yeah, no, that's a good point. You've been saying that for a while and I, I, I completely agree. It's a group thing. I think yeah. one of the things, even you and I, like we don't always have the same point of view and I think that's really helpful to kind of talk things out. Um, Absolutely. So I, I hope yeah. the same thing would be happening at the Fed where people would feel comfortable to yeah. say, hey, we seem to be slaughtering the economy. We might want to slow down. Yeah. You think someone would say that. So, all right. Well, uh, we'll see what happens the next week and have a good week, everyone. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone.